Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Well, good evening. Welcome to a very special extended two-hour edition of Piers Morgan Uncensored. Well, that was magic, wasn't it? I mean, I've been to a lot of events in my time. I've never been to anything like what happened in London today at the Queen's funeral. It was the single most spine-tingling, extraordinary extravaganza of pomp and pageantry and remembrance, commemoration and celebration of this unique woman. London felt like the centre of the world. Emperors, presidents, kings and queens, hundreds of thousands of mourners, pilgrims, lining the streets, billions watching around the world. We all stopped, we all came together, we all said goodbye. Goodbye to an exceptional lady whose service, duty and majesty will forever be unrivaled. A rock of stability in a tumultuous world that changes fast and so often feels fractured, even fragile. We also say goodbye to an era, to an age, and we did it in the most extraordinary style. Every boot polished, every jewel glistening, not a foot or a feather out of place. The monarchy and our military, the face that Britain <clears throat> shows to the world. And so the thousands of service men and women who carried out today's ceremonies with such electrifying precision. It was utterly faultless. I pay tribute to all of you. You carried the weight of history on your shoulders. You were perfect. It was a service and a ceremony and a procession, not only fit for a queen, but for our queen, in my opinion, the queen. And that's no small feat. Amid the grief and gratitude, there was gravitas. There's probably nobody else who could bring together such an extraordinary assembly of world leaders. Probably won't ever be this again. Elizabeth II wasn't just a historic figure herself, she transcended history. And it's history that makes Britain and these state occasions unique in the world. Take the funeral service itself at Westminster Abbey. Thirty kings and queens are buried there. Almost every monarch since William the Conqueror had their coronation there. It's where the late queen herself was married and crowned, where she marked the death of her own husband, the memorial this year. The state gun carriage carrying her coffin was pulled by Royal Navy sailors, not horses, because the great Queen Victoria's horses were spooked by the cold at her funeral. Now the tradition remains. There's a remarkable story in history behind almost every detail of what we saw today. 
through 15 prime ministers and 14 US presidents, through social revolution, through good times and bad, there's no story <clears throat> more remarkable than Queen Elizabeth. I think we all felt the weight of that history today. We shared it with a historic gathering of world leaders, with all these people watching from every corner of the world. But somehow it still felt personal, didn't it? Like we were saying goodbye to somebody we all knew, even though very few of us had much connection with the Queen. Her life belonged to all of us. Now it belongs to history. The monarchy will go on in the age of King Charles. Any questions of that have surely been vanquished by the outpourings of emotion and respect in these days of national mourning because politicians come and go. They fight elections by cutting deals and dividing us, telling lies sometimes. But the royal family holds us together. They're the glue of Great Britain. They keep our sense of nation and identity separate from the fray. Nobody has ever, or I suspect will ever, do it better than this queen, Elizabeth II. Born as the only niece to an unmarried heir, she was ever supposed to be a monarch. By quirk of fate, she ultimately became our greatest ever monarch and the greatest Britain. And how lucky we are that she did. Tonight, we say a final solemn goodbye to Her Majesty, who has been buried at a private service with her family in a few minutes' time. And we get one last chance after 10 extraordinary days to say these simple words. Thank you, Your Majesty. Well, joining me now is Talk TV contributor Adam Bolton, former newspaper editor Emily Sheffield, and Talk TV presenter Richard Tice. Welcome. Uh, Emily, what a day. It was, I was at the palace all day anchoring uh, the coverage for Fox in America, where they're just as you know, enthralled by all this as we are. And I got there at 4.45 in the morning. There was no one around really other than journalists. And it was dark and it was eerie, but it was completely still. And I looked at the palace all lit up in lights, and immediately I felt moved. And then as the day progressed, I felt more and more moved. And funny enough, it wasn't even the, the funeral service itself, which didn't seem to me particularly extraordinary. It was everything around it. It was this procession showing off the very best of our country and this monarch. It was, I mean, it was magical. Now, I mean, we, we were just discussing it. I think the day got increasingly poignant. I mean, I found so much. You know, there was this such incredible precision. Every movement, every beat of a drum, every flag, every shiny button, there was nothing out of place. Uh, and, but somehow within all that precision, and that majesty and that pomp and that performance was this incredible room for emotion and mm. beauty. And it just kept carrying us through the day. And I thought when I saw that movement, that incredible music, the bagpipes, the drum beats, the gong of the, of the, of the church bells when they went into, the, into Westminster Abbey. But then actually, as the day progressed, it, I, for me, it became more moving, mm. increasingly moving, and a, a very emotional, actually, when she was doing the last stretch up mm. to Windsor mm. and they'd laid all the flowers pointing upwards mm. towards the hill and actually the crowds at that point had melted away so you could really focus on the coffin and the people around her and those she had served and were serving her in that final moment. Mm. And then again, the bagpipes come, the drums, yeah. Yeah. the gonging of the bell and I think that was more moving than earlier in the day because at that point I was just thinking to myself, 
this is it. Well, I had a this moment. This is the I mean, last Richard, goodbye. Yeah, I mean, I felt that. And I actually, when they lowered the coffin, I felt profoundly moved by that moment. And the breaking of the wand. And the breaking oh, yes. of the wand, which has a sort of hilariously, like, what's the relevance of this? Where you check it's the Lord Chamberlain, and historically, the wand was used to administer reproach, you know, to, um, administer, you know, uh, 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 telling people off mm. who'd been misbehaving in the royal household. Like an old school Chamberlain. cane. Yes, literally like an old school <laughs> cane. And um, and then they break it symbolically. They Over. put it down with the yeah. with the coffin. They don't really explain why, but it's, but, it's an extraordinary but, moment. But also the removal of the crown, because I don't know about anyone else sitting here. We all know about the jewels, we've seen them in the pictures, mm. but we've looked at them in great detail. Yeah. And that moment when they finally remove well, her the crown... the symbolism. ..and she starts lowering into the ground, the symbolism of that... Richard, I mean, I mean, I just want to tee you up, really, for what your most moving moments were, because I had a moment when the, hearse, when the procession went past the palace, where I was all day... And by now, it was bright sunshine. It was a beautiful day, wasn't it, as the day went on? And we'd had a, a huge procession for, like, 20 minutes before the hearse actually got there. And then the hearse went past Buckingham Palace, went round the side and right in front of the palace, and all the Queen's staff were lined up to just pay their last respects. And as they said goodbye, I realised I was saying goodbye, that that was the last time I'd ever see our Queen. And I got quite choked up, actually, and I was on air. I had to make sure I wasn't, you know, doing it on air because it was just, I don't know, that weird moment when she's not a family member, but it felt like she was to all of us. Right? You did well. I was in bits the moment the coffin came out of Westminster Hall mm. and was put on the gun carriage by those incredible pallbearers. Yes. Who, I mean, you know, their job was the hardest of all. First Battalion that, Grenadier Guards, and ab- apparently five of them had actually flown back from had, operational duty in Iraq um, the moment the Queen died. They were on the list of, that, I think, 30, you said to me earlier, 30, I think. Yeah. Which, but the, but the enormity of that part of the procession yeah. and the sound, the drums, the bagpipes, going to the Abbey, I would, that, that for me, um, that was actually sort of the greatest point and the lowest point, in a sense, personally. Yes. It was just well, it was it a was bit of so sweet, remarkable. It was a bittersweet day, wasn't it? Because on one level, it was desperately sad. It, uh, you know, and I really felt that time and again. So, so many poignant moments where you just sort of, you know, held your breath. And then other moments uh, where you felt really celebratory about what all this was showing the world about what our country still is. Oh, completely. You know, we feel like we've lost so much in our country. You know, I, when, I mean, it seems like forever ago, but... When I came back um, on September the 5th and Liz Truss had just been made Prime Minister that day and I did this kind of tub-thumping, you know, tirade to Liz Truss to sort this broken country. And you think, here we are, ten days later. But what we've done, actually, Piers, is we've shown that there are still things that we are the best in the world at, that we are brilliant at, and no-one can do it like this. And I think, as we look forward, we've got to try and somehow draw confidence from it. It's actually, we can do this stuff. We can overcome the challenges on which there are many... Well, if we can be the best in the world at at something like this, we can continue to be the best in the world at many other things. Exactly. Great Britain, for all the people that try and rubbish the the past of this country, we've produced so many world-beating people and things. Right? We just did. And that's what made us Great Britain. I feel like we spend all our time talking down the country, and today was a chance to go, you know what, actually... We may be small geographically, but look at this. And you tell me anyone else in the world that could do it like we could. Adam, let me bring you in. You've covered 
I mean, every event <laughs> since William the Conqueror. Um, so, to be serious, where did this rank for you as an event that you have witnessed? I think, oddly, the most striking thing for me about it was that it was kind of less is more, by which I don't mean that the ceremonial wasn't executed absolutely perfectly. It was. But the whole day, mm. at an emotional level, was restrained. Mm. I mean, for me, I kept on thinking of the contrast and yeah. the similarities with the funeral of Princess Diana in, yes. in, in 1997. And in that sense, I think the whole day was a kind of embodiment of what Queen Elizabeth was. She also, Did you feel moved by it? She was also stoical. She was also disciplined. And, and, and you know, you didn't see a lot of people crying in, in either mm. of the churches. And, 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 you know, she didn't cry either, kind of thing. Right. I mean, that, that, that was the point. I mean, the, you know, the most sort of sentimental moments are probably when she walked past her favourite horse and the coffin was taken past the favourite horse. Yeah. The, and the corgis. The and, the, and the corgis and, yeah. and all that. And for me, the most sort of heart-wrenching moment was at the end that the face of Prince Charles sitting in the pew after his mother had been taken down. There was yeah. quite, a, quite a long period where the camera stayed on him because one realised, as you said at the beginning, that this was an end of an era. Mm. There was certainty in terms of style and mm. achievement about Queen Elizabeth and with Prince Charles, there's uncertainty yeah. now, not, not just about him, but where the country goes as right. well. I mean, Emily... I looked at Charles and I saw a man who's probably utterly exhausted, emotionally and physically. He's not only been mourning the loss of his mother, but he lost his father last, you know, a year and a half ago, whatever it was. Um, he is a man who's had to spend these 10 days showing us he can be king, touring the country, probably taking endless calls from world leaders and emperors and kings and so on. This, this guy must be on his knees, and yet right to the end, I thought he was incredibly dignified very regal and very how I would like, like our monarch to behave in One a situation One would hope like he this. would have taken some strength from his mother because, of course, she became queen after the shock news of her father right. dying. So, and she was 25. She mm. had not prepared, really, for the role. Well, she hadn't been all her life expecting to be queen. Exactly. Right. So I think... I, I would hope that, yes, I do think this, these 10 days would have been draining for, 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 for a lot of people and emotionally, but when you think what she went through, it was much more shocking, which would have... There was a lot, a lot of emotion, you know, from family members, which, so... which most of which wasn't shown really much. Uh, Andrew broke down when he was walking at mm. one stage in the procession, and he's probably thought in his case he's been through this terrible scandal. We know his mother, apparently he was the favoured uh, son... And she was supporting him, and she stood by him massively. Um, and maybe she never he felt stopped supporting he him. felt the loss, you know, particularly sharply, given mm. that she's been this great rock of support to him. You saw little Charlotte, Princess Charlotte, uh, crying at one stage. Mm. Uh, it may just be she was exhausted. She's a young kid having this extraordinary day in front of the world. You know, who knows what what was provoking that? I saw Edward and Sophie were quite tearful at one stage. I saw King Charles at one stage was quite tearful. And what it reminded me was that this is a real family, and I keep stressing this to people. We often treat them like a soap opera, myself included. You, know, you write about them almost as if they don't really exist, that we're covering the shenanigans of Coronation Street stars on a higher level. But actually, they're real people mourning 
the loss of their matriarch, this great figure. But the message all... today was they're not real people in the sense that they're an institution. Yeah. Right. And it's an enduring yeah, but institution. I think, you, yeah. I think there are two, there are two things. that was Queen Elizabeth's message. Yeah, very much so. And she always put the institution even before personal interest. Mm. But you saw the real people. You saw that grief uh, for all of them yeah. in their own different ways. And I think, in a sense, that's a good thing. I mean, they have to grieve. They have to be allowed to grieve. Mm. They've, they're obviously going to be mourning privately for the next few days, and Charles must be utterly exhausted. And actually, he needs looking after because, uh, you know, what he's been through. And well, I'm glad he's really got Camilla because I think she of would course. be very good for him in a moment like this. She's been going through this with a broken toe, I read in the Telegraph yesterday. Uh, you can imagine, but this is, this is their thing, isn't it? This is the duty and selflessness. It's like you just get on with it. The Queen's famous line. I think Jacinda Ardern, the New Zealand Prime Minister, was on uh, BBC the, the morning show on Sunday saying that the Queen had said to her, she asked the Queen, how did you have children and still you know, reign in the country? And she went, well, you just get on with it. Um, which was a but classic I, I, Queen I, response, but it is, but it is the mantra Adam's, of the old school I think to Adam's rules. point, that's why this does... why she did draw global attention, mm. and this did as well, because you saw those pallbearers, and when we were watching that last procession up towards Windsor, you saw all the people in front of that coffin, not a single one of them, their face didn't flinch. Mm. It was utter discipline. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think in an age where everyone says everything, emotions are everywhere, prime ministers talk about having babies and this, that and the other, this was a reminder of a sort of backbone. And we, I mean, we do need a bit of backbone. We, we do, right. But actually, it's a great message. Right. Just get on with it. Yes. You know, it, don't complain, just get on with yes. stuff, and it's make what, it happen. It's what the Archbishop of Canterbury picked up on his yes, sermon. Yes, he did. You know, quite often at, at, at sermons, even for very important people, people attempt a bit of humour or to tell mm. a, an anecdote, whatever, and he didn't. He just went straight in on, this woman was 21, she said she was going to serve the nation, and that's what she, and did. That she did. But he went on he to said. say that if you if you do what she did and you serve others, then you, you win respect and love. But if, as he, I think he then went on to say, and I'm not sure who he was talking to, but people like Boris Johnson were sitting there listening to this, you know, she, he went on to say that actually if it's all about clutching onto power and privilege, then you quickly get forgotten. And I, I don't know who he was alluding to in particular, but there were quite a few suspects in the room who might have had an awkward moment yeah. of self-reflection <laughs> about what the Archbishop was getting at. And, of course, he was so, so right, because the thing about the Queen, you know, I've been saying in the last 10 days that, she never chased celebrity, but was the greatest celebrity of them all. She never chased love and adoration, but became the most beloved and adored figure mm-hmm. in the country because, actually, she never clung on to power or showed off about the privilege. But just... I do think there was... Sorry. I do think there was a particular thing that was very special about her, is that she became our queen when she was very young. Mm. So we have got these incredible um, films and pictures of this young woman then becoming the 96-year-old grandmother of the nation. And that is a problem, and isn't that, it? I think yeah. we're not going to get that with well, this Char- is a problem. King Charles. We're yes. not going to get that with the Prince of Wales. She was... I, I think part of the gravitas she gained was because of the length of her reign. No, no I totally agree. That's um, why I don't think we're going to see anyone do 70 years again. We no. might, but it's unlikely because she was so young when she began. But, I mean, Adam, I think Charles has a, an age and a, an aesthetics problem compared to his mother. She comes in as a beautiful 26-year-old woman. It's a dazzling coronation. And she has plenty of time to grow into her role and become this, you know, great beloved monarch. He, he has a clock ticking. He's 75 years old. You know, he looks quite old. You know, there's no getting away from that. 
Um, I don't have a problem with an experienced well, older monarch. However, you know, for him to make his mark as a monarch, like his mother, he's got to move quite quickly. Well, I think he already has. I mean, he's already shown himself to be different from his mother. He has shown his feelings mm. more. He has gone out and seen people more. I mean, my feeling is that because of his age and because everyone is very familiar with him, I mean, don't forget we are extremely familiar yes. with Prince Charles, that actually for his reign, I think there'll be quite a lot of respect for him. And unless things go wrong and they can always go wrong, I don't think public sentiment is going to change against the monarchy. I think possibly it's actually the next generational shift without, without criticising William, because in a sense, kind of, Prince Charles is sort of the, the coda to Queen Elizabeth. Mm. And it's when there's a change after Prince Charles that people will be really thinking... You don't think there's some glamour I... coming with those two? I yeah, I do, the I do. That and my... actually, the poll... I, mean, I really poll... wanted Prince... I, sorry, Prince, the Prince of Wales, yeah. Prince William. Yeah. I was... I know it wasn't part of the service, but I thought that first church service was really missing him standing up and well, saying something. William has not been present, but... Because he's I, not been present, I agree has there's he? a lot of glamour, but will there be so much glamour in 20 years' time? I'm not sure. I think the thing about the Queen is that... She just quietly delivered and performed consistently, mm. decade after yeah. decade after decade. It was like Charles is going to be different. I think he will be much more accessible, more visible. I think we've seen yeah. that uh, just literally in the last few days. And I think that will be key. Of course, we think we know him because we knew him as Prince Charles, but actually, we, we actually want him to be different as King Charles, mm. you know, because it's a very, very different role. Yeah. But overall, what a day, huh? I mean, really, what a day. I just... I found it breathtaking. Breathtaking. The whole thing and the logistics that were involved in making it so faultless just made me burst with pride about what this country can do and it really puts its mind to it. And yeah, also the civil beautiful. service, got to give them yeah. credit, you know, for getting all those leaders in yeah. and out without, without incident. Yeah. Uh, the Foreign Office, I'd say, pulled it off, didn't yeah. they? Everybody We're going to see uh, some of our star panellists a little later. Thank you for being with me. Uh, my music was as much a part of today's ceremonies as the servicemen and women who made it a world-class spectacle, from the rousing choral hymns to national anthem played repeatedly and the muffled drums and mournful bagpipes that send shivers down our spine. Let's take a listen. Well, joining me now is retired Lieutenant Colonel Graham Jones, who was responsible for the music at all state ceremonial events, including the Queen Mother's funeral, former Royal Protection Officer for Princess Diana and Princess William and Harry, Ken Wolfe, and the former Black Rod in Parliament, David Leakey. Well, welcome to all of you. Let me start with you, Ken, if I may, because you were with me, it turned out, I just discovered. You were yeah. uh, down there by the palace all day. What was your feeling as you watched it all unfurl? Well, I mean, so much has been said, Piers, about it, but, but what I, I admired was the sort of the order and the, the word, this word solemnity that pe people keep talking about. But it was an extraordinary uh, uh, feeling to be there and watching it. 
Um, but, but mindful because of my past involved in security and having been in, involved mm. in operations similar to this, I was, I was impressed actually with, with the timing and the efficiency of the operation, you know, that, that this event actually brought. Actually and, I mean, it has to be said, no security incidents I'm aware of at all throughout the entire day when they were clearly pretty concerned about the number of world leaders in one mm. place. There's been a lot of stuff going on, war in Europe and so on, that could have yeah. triggered any kind of protest or attack, but nothing happened on the day. Nothing at all. I mean, you, you know, the operation itself involving, you know, thousands of police, and we've drawn in police from the constabularies, but, but, but you know, we, 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 people were talking about the, the, the Churchill uh, state funeral in 65. I mean, this, this eclipsed that, Piers. Mm. It was by far a, a huge... Uh, ceremonial operation, a state funeral here, and and you know. Is this the biggest event you've ever seen of this kind? Well, I, I think it's the biggest event that everybody's ever right. seen. We're, I mean, we're never going to see this again. No, so I don't. Not think in so. most people's lives. Yeah. And you know, I, I think that, that there's the cooperation between the police, Parliament, and all the all the services. I think we pulled off a, a, ma a piece of magic yeah. here, quite frankly. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, Lieutenant Colonel Graham Jones, you were the former senior director of music for the Household Division. Uh, you're in charge of all the music for all major state ceremonial events, including state funerals, like the Queen Mother's, uh, Queen's Birthday Parade, the Armistice Cenotaph Parade, the Festival of Remembrance, and a huge collection of massive events. When you watched today's funeral, and the whole day, actually, taken in totality, what did you feel about it from a, from a musical perspective? Well, I mean, the first thing, Piers, is I, I actually thought that this was... What an incredible way to honour our much-loved uh, late monarch. That was the first thing I thought. The second thing, when I'm watching the parade, I actually started to think about the individuals within who were taking part. This is a life-changing moment from them. They'll be telling their grandparents all about this, and then looking at the band and the musicians are playing. They've been working really, really hard, but just go back. Could they have imagined when they were in school and school was helping them to become a musician, play the clarinet, go to community bands and do that, then join the military and take part in, part in this massive, massive parade that is the biggest that we will ever see in our lifetime. And in terms of the choice of music, how involved would Her Majesty the Queen have been in choosing the music throughout the day for her own funeral? Uh, Piers, she, she will have signed it off at the end of the day. However, this all comes through a rich vein of heritage and tradition. And, of course, we have to go back to 1901, which is Queen Victoria's funeral. And she had the Beethoven March and the Chopin March. Those two marches were played. Then we, must, we move forward through the Three Kings. And those marches are then added to. And they're added to by two more Beethoven marches, the Mendelssohn March, these are all added to create the backbone of the funereal uh, music that's played on the funeral procession. One of the most moving moments for me actually came with the piper, the, the, the piper from Balmoral, who apparently is the only person outside of the royal family who's allowed to wear the Balmoral tartan. Uh, and when he played that, that uh, little piece, let's take a listen actually to the bit of the piper.
Absolutely stunning uh, performance there of a, of a famous Scottish lament called Sleep, Deary, Sleep. It is a lament. Yes, and, Absolutely. And, and, and for those, who, for those um, Graham Jones, who don't know about that lament, what does it signify and why would that have been important to the Queen? Well, it's important because, of course, her piper, the Queen's piper, uh, every morning at 9 o'clock would play for 15 minutes uh, outside b below her bedroom window. And, of course, the Queen's piper would go with her when they go to Balmoral. She, she absolutely adored pipes and drums. Now, if you remember looking at the parade away from the single piper for the moment, and we look at the massed pipes and drums, and what an incredible image that was, and most powerful of sounds, the beat there was 75 beats per minute. Pipers don't naturally march and play at 75 beats per minute. They had to work really hard to get that tempo exactly right, and they nailed it. They, they absolutely did. And for you personally, taking the day in totality, what was your favourite piece of music in the whole day? It's the Chopin um, funeral march uh, that was played on the procession, both the procession uh, here in London and the procession at Windsor. It was actually written by Chopin, the Polish composer, in 1840, uh, when he lived outside of Paris. It was then orchestrated uh, for an orchestra, and then it was uh, reworked for the military band and first performed at Her Majesty Queen Victoria's request at her funeral, along with a Beethoven funeral march. Thank you very much indeed, Lieutenant Colonel Graham Jones. We want to bring in now Lieutenant General uh, David Leakey, the former Black Rod, uh, the Queen's representative in Parliament for seven years. One of the Black Rod uh, roles is to organise the lying in state in Westminster Hall, and I believe that you were in charge of the planning, logistics and execution of Operation London Bridge, which was, of course, the code name for the passing of the Queen. Yeah, London Bridge is the code name for the overall operation, of which uh, Operation Marquis is a subset. And Operation Marquis is the lying in state of the monarch in Westminster Hall. And Blackrod, as you've rightly said, is responsible for that. And if you like, is the sort of chief of operations uh, for, uh, for Op, Op Marquis in the Palace of Westminster. And I thought Sarah Clark, um, who took over from me four years ago, um, has done a great job with the team. Of course, it's not a one-man band. <laughs> Organising these things is a huge team effort of coordination and collaboration, um, not just within Parliament, uh, because obviously the parliamentary estate staff and, and all the administrative staff and clerks, everybody turns to when something like a state event like this happens, whether it's the state opening of Parliament or a lying in state. But there are a lot of other players as well mm. Uh, the police, of course, on the security side, but contractors, uh, a lot of contractors involved in, in coming in with, um, with uh, uh, special machinery to take out all the, um, the, those, those steel blockers, security blockers outside uh, and taking down lampposts and traffic lights and things like that. It is a huge, huge team effort and uh, full marks to the team that, that, as you say, nailed it. Well, I would, imagine the there's, I would imagine there's a long list of black rods who will have had input into what we finally saw uh, in the last 10 days, um, including yourself, I'd imagine, quite significantly, given how recently you had the job. How much did it change every few years? How much was this reviewed and then things tinkered with? Uh, <laughs> the answer is not a lot. 
um, the outline of the line in state and the funeral, the outline, the general, the general plan for it did not change a lot. Within it, a huge amount of detail. And we've just been hearing about the music, for example, that will, I've no doubt, the detail on the choice of music will have changed. But every, almost every week, and I'm now just talking about the lying in state in the Palace of Westminster, almost every week, we had to get the plans out, contingency plans out, and change them, either because someone said, this isn't going to work, or this doesn't look right in the modern era, um, or there are new members of the royal family. So there are always things changing. And one of the, one of the major problems with these plans is that the geography changes, the fabric of Westminster Hall changes. So for example, there was a period of more than two years when we had huge areas of Westminster Hall covered in scaffolding, including a suspended scaffolding mm -hmm. from the roof. And of course, you couldn't have that in there if you were going to have a lying in state. So the building works had to be done with a clause in the contract that required the contractors to be on site with all the relevant scaffolders, uh, heavy cranes, moving equipment and transport to take it all down. And they had to be on site within six hours of a phone call. And we rehearsed it. I mean, I remember we rang them up at two o'clock in the morning one morning and said, um, we're pressing the start starter button on a rehearsal. Uh, did they make it? Yep, they did. They were there. It was um, a, a phenomenal exercise. They Everybody who needed to be there to take that scaffolding down was there and they were ready to go. The riggers, the ropes, the cranes, the machinery, the transport. So that's the sort of detail thing that goes on. And of course, every time you have that, then all the timings change because you can't stick to the timings if you know you've got to get, it's going to take you 24, 28 hours to get scaffolding right. down. You can't start building other things. So all the time there are changes. I mean, it struck me today that there were two things which could have completely changed the day. One would have been torrential rain, which could easily have happened at this stage of the year in, in Britain. Instead, we got glorious sunshine for most of the day. And the other, of course, had this happened two years ago at the height of the pandemic, you wouldn't have had these crowds. We wouldn't have had the procession. I mean, it would have been a completely different thing. So in a way, I guess when you're planning all this, you can plan as much as you want. What you can't plan for sometimes is nature. And that's one of the things that uh, certainly we did for Otmar Key was every year we would run an exercise, a tabletop exercise. Well, we rehearsed the build of the fabric uh, routinely, but we also ran a tabletop exercise to go through all those sorts of contingencies. What would happen if it was raining? Um, what would happen if there was a fire somewhere or a security incident? So, yes, there are lots of variations of the plan to cope with, with all those sorts of contingencies. But can, can I just make one point, which I think is relevant to what you were saying with your panel earlier, and that was what the relevance of all this pageantry is. Um, of course, it, it shows us off, it's very glitzy, it's a great advertising for the UK, uh, more tourists are likely to come to London, and so on and so on. But the, the international broadcasters have been asking me, what's the point of the pageantry? And, uh, and I think some people in this country wonder that as well. And I think the, one of the major points of the pa pageantry is that rather like Westminster Hall that was built a thousand years ago, our monarchy has been going for a thousand years. And these traditions, 
customs, uniforms, uh, archaic ways of doing things are part of our heritage. And uh, I think there are two key things that, that they demonstrate. One is they are part of the fibers that make up the fabric of the nation that we are, the national identity that we have. And I think the second thing is that it reminds us of the, the heritage of our very stable democracy compared to some of the regimes as head of states yeah. uh, that you see in other countries, even around Europe. Well, some of the regimes that were in the, in the Abbey today. Um, thank you very much indeed, Lieutenant General David Lee. Congratulations on your role in helping it all go so swimmingly. I know every black rod would have put a lot of a backbone into this, and it was certainly it was magnificent success. So thank you very much. Ken, just coming back to you, I want to talk to you just personally. You know, you've been around the royal family for a very long time, uh, obviously protecting them, mm. and they're very well protected today. When you look at William, Harry, who you've known since they were tiny boys, and they're in the procession, but there's no real contact between them that we've seen even in the 10 days. Very little eye contact, no apparent talking. It seems to be a temporary truce to put their grandmother first, but underneath it, this rift that continues to rage. What do you make of that? And what do you think Charles could possibly do to try and get through all this? I, I, Piers, you're absolutely right. You know, there is clearly a rift, but this is very much ceremonial there on duty, uh, and, and that's a very important word for those of the royal family because it, it's all about a sense of duty. I mean, Harry had no choice. He had to be there. You know, the fact that, that, that he was in uniform today was on the assistance of his father. But, you know, the, the, the ER initials were removed from... I thought that was churlish. But, well, if you're going to let Prince Andrew have ER on his shoulder, then... Why wouldn't you let Harry well, I, I, have I it on his? I, I don't disagree with you. I, yeah. I, I, I do think it was a bit churlish because, you know, this is a, a state event. Yeah. And, and let's be honest that, that Harry himself is the, the only member of the royal family recently that has actually fought a campaign in Afghanistan. Yeah. And, and he, he alone should, I think, been allowed to do that with, with all the insignia. This seemed a bit churlish. I mean, I've got no truck for Harry's behaviour mm. in the recent years, but this was his grandmother... He did serve his country with great mm. valour, uh, two tours of Afghanistan. Mm. Um, and we've already had the row about the uniform to start with, where Andrew was given mm. dispensation to wear his, and then eventually Harry was allowed to wear his. But to then remove the ER and have it sent to him without mm. the initials of his own grandmother, I just thought, don't be churlish. And actually don't fuel his own in innate sense of victimhood. Yeah. Right? Just well, don't give him an excuse no, no, to but, moan again. But I, I, I'm not... I don't know exactly what the protocol on that was. But what, what you know, what's clearly to me, I mean, right, I do know, is that, you know, the Prince of Wales, when, when he had... When he was told that, you know, some five years ago to take on greater responsibility, given the state of the, the, the health of the Duke mm. of Edinburgh then and the Queen herself, you know, he was already planning his kingship. Mm. And, and, and once very much... Wanted at that point very much Harry and William to be part of that, that move towards a new monarchy... I actually think that he still believes in that, Piers. How how he can actually bring that about, I don't know. I don't think anybody... No, it's, it's, but, I mean, it'll be fascinating what happens. I mean, if Harry brings this book out and it spray guns the royal family all over again, as he did with the Oprah interview, I mean, all hell's going to break loose. And I but, think it would be very disloyal towards his father, who, from what I'm told, is completely bemused 
about why his son has turned rogue on him. Yeah, well, listen, we had this discussion a few days ago, yeah. and, I, and I sort of... I hesitated on the decision. I said there should be reflection. And I, I, I himself had a reflection, Piers. I, I do think that now, given all that's happened mm. in the last ten days, I think Harry really should be considered about actually sort of ending this story and saying, look, this book isn't the right idea. Yeah. Because what's it going to do? It's, it's going to cause a great deal of hurt, a great deal of damage. I just think they should stop talking about the royals. They've left the country. They've left royal duty. They apparently wanted freedom and privacy, and yet all they do is constantly give interviews or public statements or podcasts or books, whatever it may be, in which they trash their family and the monarchy. And at some point, you've got to think, why are you doing this? How are you getting happiness or freedom yeah, well, by continuing to do it? They, I mean, you know, I, they made the Queen's life more difficult in her last two years. You know, Philip had died and she was in ill health. She must have been hating what they were doing. Uh, to the to the brand of the royal family. So I just don't get what they think their end game is, other than enriching themselves. But at what cost of their happiness? But I think a lot of people share your view, Piers, yeah. and, and I'm actually moving that way. What the one thing that Harry and Meghan lack is a good advisor, is someone to sort of really steer. Well, they've got American, you know, well, Los but, Angeles p uh, yeah, publicists. But, but that's, know, that's not good enough, no. you know, because you know they're at in it for their own ends. Yeah. I mean, but it needs an advisor, someone with with a real knowledge and understanding of what the king himself now. Do you know, the, you know the, the real shame of it is, if they had just carried on in the same vein they did up to their wedding, mm. where they were very popular in this country and they represented a very different, more diverse couple in the royal family and they were getting great credit and praise for that, if they carried on just being as they were then, I think they'd have been very popular and quite beloved members of the family and could now be real weapons for King Charles to take the monarchy forward with a slightly more youthful and diverse way. As it is, they're sort of running this rival royal family over in California and it's causing constant friction. Anyway, we'll see how that all washes up. Uh, Ken, great to see you. I, I often think about you with these things because you were around them all when they were all kids and I think that you know, and I know, Diana would have hated the fact the boys aren't talking. She would have been, I think, really distraught by it. Yeah, well, I mean, I sort of have yeah. fond memories of working at that time. And, you know, I, I, I'm coming more around to your view on this, Piers, but, but I do think that, 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 that Harry is unhappy with his situation. Yeah. I do think now particularly because he's been here and I think he realises that, that this is where he should be. And I, I, I know deep down that his father wants him to be part of this new move yeah. in this new monarchy. But it's let, a two, let, it's let's, a, let's see where it It's goes. a two-way street. Um, well, King Charles uh, III and other members of the royal family are in St George's Chapel in Windsor for a private family service right now. Details of the service have not been disclosed, with Buckingham Palace calling it a deeply personal family occasion. What we do know is that the Queen will be buried with Prince Philip uh, next to his coffin, and I think that's one ray of, uh, of happiness for all of us, that they've been reunited on this otherwise very sad day. Well, after the state funeral at Westminster Abbey, thousands lined the streets to see Her Majesty's very final journey to St George's Chapel in Windsor. Two of her beloved corgis were there to greet her and a more intimate gathering awaited inside the chapel that she knew from childhood. The crown jeweller removed the instruments of state, the imperial state crown, the orb and scepter from the coffin, before they were placed on the altar, symbolising very poignantly the end of the Queen's reign. And for the first time ever, the breaking of the wand was televised, a ritual marking the end of a Lord Chamberlain's service to a monarch. The Queen's coffin was then lowered into the royal vault alongside the coffins of 25 previous royals. 
And right now, the late Queen is being laid to rest, as I said, beside her late husband, the Duke of Edinburgh. After a life lived and mourned in public, this moment, and it feels right, will belong only to her closest family. It really was a, a stunning day, wasn't it, with so many extraordinary moments and visuals uh, of this country really at its very best. Uh, there's a live shot we just took a, a few minutes ago of Westminster Bridge tonight looking absolutely magnificent. The bridge, of course, that leads into Parliament and, of course, to Buckingham Palace. Uh, what a sight that is. What a sight the whole capital city has been today. And here's Windsor Castle tonight. Uh, darkness has, of course, fallen, but you can see there the flickering uh, light and flag. Uh, an amazing final resting place for Majesty the, the Queen, of course. Well, joining me now from Windsor is Jeremy Kyle, my Talk TV colleague, who's been in Windsor all day. Jeremy, what's it been like down there? I mean, I was at Buckingham Palace where there were huge crowds yeah. uh, all day long and there was a mixture of emotions, I would say, very quiet and respectful for large periods, breaking into applause at certain points, um, some tears, uh, some laughter. I mean, it was just a little range of emotions, really. Was it like that at Windsor? Exactly, Piers, to be fair. It was extraordinary. Um, I've, I mean, I live in Windsor, uh, as you know, and I, I've never seen so many people. And I said, I said earlier... The Queen transcended, I think, almost every different part of our population. And people teamed into Windsor today, mate. I would say 250,000 minimum. And when that hearse came down the long walk, there was this incredible hush. There was like this sort of serenity, this sort of acceptance that this was the final goodbye and she was passing uh, on, and King Charles would, would be acceding to the throne, etc., etc. But you're right, a sort of wave of emotions. People crying, people cheering, clapping as she went past, people throwing flowers. But it felt very... It's very proud to be part of it, mate, to be honest. Yes. It was very emotional, but it was also very, very historical. You know, a moment that you'll go, I was there, I yeah. saw her, her, 70 years on the throne. Yeah, I felt that very strongly at Buckingham Palace. Uh, while we've been talking, the Prince and Princess of Wales, William and Kate, have tweeted goodbye to a queen, a mother, a grandmother and a great-grandmother, which I think says it all from the family point of view, is that she was our queen. She was their queen, of course, too. Mm. But essentially, for them, this was the matriarch of their family. Absolutely, the sort of fulcrum by which it all, you know, succeeded. And, of course, no doubt, you and I, you know, are cut from the same cloth. There will be people who say, well, the monarchy survive. Of course it will survive. When you look at who came today, when you look at how the world, four billion people, watched us do what we do best in the most incredible way, 
of course we'll never see the like of a lady, I mean, 70 years on the throne. Somebody said to me the other day, Piers, that everybody under 70, whatever, has never known anything else. It will be a change, and King Charles will not reign for as long as her by any stretch of the imagination. And the monarchy will, yes, be slimmed down, and we've heard about all the problems. But for me, today's about remembering this incredible woman who, what, at 24, 25, said, however long I've got, I will serve you, the British people. And she did that in the most incredible way. Just, what, two days before she passed, there she was accepting Liz Truss, saying, you know, make a new government. And she was about selfless service. And I think that we as a country could learn so much. And actually, also, I was thinking today, you know, with all that's going on in the world, in our world, the United Kingdom, why is it that we can come together so brilliantly at these times? Why can't we bottle that, Piers, and use that going forward? Because that would have been, I think, exactly what she'd have wanted. I completely agree. And it is a real problem that we're becoming ever more divided as a country. It's not just a problem here. It's the yeah. same in America. I think toxic tribalism on social media <clears throat> has made people angry. It's made people constantly confrontational. I think that it's, it's a real problem. Facts don't seem to matter anymore. People just take a position with a, a tribe, a side, and then they scream at each other morning, noon and night. And, you know, it was a real moment of unity today, but in a way, probably because the Queen mm. actually was completely non-partisan. We never knew what she thought about mm. any big issue. So she never instantly polarised people. If she'd come out and said, actually, I think Brexit's a bad idea, half the country would have hurled abuse at her on Twitter. That's where we've got to. And it's, it's a completely Somebody ridiculous said... state of affairs. Um, you know, there were other part of today I, I, I thought, um, Jeremy, I thought was great. With the armed forces, just in all their magnificent splendour, and I was on air for Fox in America, and I said, you know, you've got to remember, these are not just ceremonial people. They're not just doing this to show off their uniform. These are our fighting forces, the very elite, from the Royal Marines to the Gurkhas to the RAF to the Royal Navy. And actually, I got a tweet, a wonderful tweet, in the middle of it from a woman called Lisa Moyer, who said, my son is part of the gun carriage crew. He's directly behind the coffin, second in on our right. We are unbelievably proud parents. And I responded yeah. just saying, so you should be. He's done the nation proud. And I was delighted to see just... She was bombarded with messages of gratitude from the public. And I think there must be so many little stories of these armed yeah. forces today, from the young sailors by the gun carriage to the most experienced people in the and the Queen's Guards, you know, the, the, the Grenadier Guards, the Coldstream Guards, um, all of them, to a man and woman, were just absolutely perfect, both in the way that they I looked mean, amazing. and the way uh, they conducted uh, themselves. I think that's right. And, and, and actually, uh, we've, got a, we've done an interview for you later. Uh, a, a lady, a squadron leader in the RAF Pierce, 31 years service. Um, she'd been to the Falklands, she'd been to Afghanistan, and she, she, I interviewed her. She was here with a mother who had just recovered and her two kids and the pride. She said, I, I've come here today for the boss. It wasn't a job, it was an honour and a privilege, and she was so humble, mm. and every one of those 31 days I did for her. And you're right, there will be stories, the length and breadth of this country. And I go back to what I said, why can't we come together yeah. as we did today? Because... Old and young, where I've been today, Piers, from 14 and 15-year-olds to, to 80 and 90-year-olds, everybody of the same opinion that this incredible woman, incredible woman, gave us all so much. And maybe in her memory, actually, what we can give her back is to be, as we've both said, 
just to try and get on with our lives and get, I mean, we've all heard about the Duke of York and Harry and that blimmin' woman and all that, but, but actually what happened today was she transcended all those arguments, she transcended every single part of divisiveness we have in this country, and that's why everybody came together. And if we could bottle that, it would be amazing, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, I completely agree. Well said, Jeremy. Good to talk to you. Thanks, mate. Her Majesty took place inside the historic Westminster Abbey. World leaders, world royalty and every living British Prime Minister looked on, as well as an estimated audience of billions on television worldwide. Well, quite a moment for my next guest, Ian Greenshields, moderator of the General Assembly of the Church of Scotland, who read a prayer in the service. Let us give thanks to God for Queen Elizabeth's long life and reign, recalling with gratitude her gifts of wisdom, diligence, and service. O God, from whom cometh everything that is upright and true, accept our thanks for the gifts of heart and mind that thou didst bestow upon thy daughter Elizabeth and which she showed forth among us in her words and deeds. I'm delighted to say that the Right Reverend Dr Ian Greenshields is with me now, along with uh, former newspaper editor Emily Sheffield and Talk TV presenter Richard Tice. Thank you so much for coming to the show tonight. Uh, what a day you must have had. I mean, it was extraordinary enough for us to watch it, but to be actually participating in the historic occasion of this Queen's funeral must have been even for you who've done a lot of stuff, quite an amazing moment. Yes, I think it was. I mean, I think it was the culmination of uh, so many historic moments, beginning with uh, the Queen's death in Scotland and the service in St Giles and now uh, the service in Westminster and, of course, uh, the further service that followed that. It, it just was that very profound sense of history that was there in the making in that moment. And you spent the last weekend with Her Majesty up in Scotland and you I had did, this yes. remarkable time with her, yeah. not knowing, of course, it would be the last time you'd see her. To go from that to reading at her funeral, I mean, that's an extraordinary two weeks you've had in your I life. Know. I know. And there was no sense in which you would have said that she was frail, she was 96, but there was no sense that you would have thought that this was somebody who was imminently going to die. Quite the opposite. She was very engaged, very articulate. Memory was great. What uh, did you talk about, if you don't mind me asking? Presumably you can now say it because the Queen is <laughs> sadly no longer here. But, I mean, what, what were the conversations like? Because they were some of the last conversations she ever had with anybody. Her love of Balmoral. Yeah. That was something that she, she spoke of more than once, uh, talked about her, her mother, her father being there, her being there, the, the joy that it brought her as a place, the peace mm. that it brought her as a place as well. That was something she spoke about. She spoke about um, the church that I belong to. That's one of the reasons that, that I was there and that she valued uh, as well. You know, she was quite a character. She she knew her stuff. That was one yeah. of the things that was quite remarkable about her. I interviewed, actually, the former Prime Minister of Canada, Stephen Harper today and he was saying the thing about meeting the Queen he met her a few times got to know her quite well was that because she'd met almost every interesting person who's ever lived in the last 70 years 
including every world leader, every scientist, every expert, everyone. She had extraordinary wisdom and knowledge, which she just amassed over time, where she basically knew a lot about a lot. Yes, I mean, she, I asked her who the most interesting person was that she'd, she'd met, and she refused to answer that question. Really? <laughs> really? Very smart. Oh, yeah, yeah. Very you could smart see, You could see that. I asked her what her favourite hymn was, she refused to answer really? that. Really? She wouldn't, you see, even to the end, she wouldn't give controversial opinions, right? That's right, right that's right. Uh, which yeah. was a great side to her. I mean, I was quite interested to read uh, one of Nelson Mandela's relatives, because... We're trying to think of other world events in my lifetime, certainly, which could be even close to this. One would have been Mandela's funeral, no question. Uh, the funeral of, of John Paul, the, the Pope, the second, mm. um, was huge. Kennedy's uh, funeral after he was assassinated and so on. I don't think any of them came close to what we saw today. Um, but her relationship with Mandela was quite interesting because apparently his family always used to tease him because whenever he spoke to the Queen, he called her Elizabeth. And they say, you cannot call the Queen Elizabeth. And he would reply, well, why not? She calls me Nelson. <laughs> <laughs> but they found a commonality together. She was so good at that. She would never have taken offence at him calling her Elizabeth. She'd totally understand that he didn't mean that in any derogatory way. And there was obviously great warmth between them. When you were having these last conversations, I don't want to, to labour the point, because I'd imagine okay. it's also okay. probably quite painful memories to you, given what happened after but given you were in this sort of moment of history, did she look back at all and reflect on her life, on her reign? She spoke about her faith. Yeah. But then she would do that to somebody who's, who's a minister, I suppose. But it was hugely be. important to her, wasn't and it? And it was, it was. And she spoke about having no regrets about the faith that she had. Mm. Uh, she spoke about how important it was to her. Some of the um, unique characters that she'd met as well, Billy Graham being one yes. of them. Who she asked to meet, uh, I think. Yes. Was it her, yes, her request? Yeah. Uh, she... I think she had a... Did she have a sense that maybe something was going to happen? That's what I, I, wonder, I don't that's know. That's what I wondered. Looking some, back, do you think maybe she did? Well, some. you know how sometimes subconsciously... Yes. ..when you look back, somebody has said something to you and, uh, and then you think, I wonder why they said that, because it... it it materialised. Uh, my own mother did that in the night before she died. She, really? She was just talking about uh, death and what happened when you die. And, and I wonder whether there was something of that. Did the Queen mention the Queen? dying at all or death? Or... No, she didn't. But she was, she was prepared. You could, tell, you could tell that very clearly. And her faith, I guess, consequentially, would have been that much more important in that moment of realising that her life might be coming to an end. Yeah because it would be then the next stage of, of her life and her faith. Yes, I gave her a gift be, before I left. Um, I had crosses made by uh, folks in Glenoakle Prison, uh, and I, I, I said to her, what, what can you give to the person who has everything? Uh, and uh, she kind of smiled at me then, and I, and I presented her with a cross and explained it to her, and she very graciously took it from me and... Uh, and then just wished me the best, all the best, and uh, left the room. And, and that, that was, was the, the last, last, last I saw of her. Yeah. When you stood up to speak today, did you feel that the weight of history on your shoulders? Because four billion people apparently may have been watching. Yeah, I didn't try to think of it that too much. <laughs> <laughs> I felt more in Edinburgh. That was the case when I was uh, preaching in Edinburgh and took the sermon there. Um, I felt less so here. Uh, I felt I was part of something bigger 
in that sense. Did the, the new king speak to you afterwards? Did you, no, did you, you no, didn't get a chance, chance, I guess, if everything no. was moving on so yeah, fast. Yeah. I mean, I don't know about you, I found this completely fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. And the fact that she said that Balmoral was her place, her place of peace... That's right. ..I yeah. think is, is really interesting. I think, really I mean, interesting. maybe and I only knew that from the Crown, but I, just but... Think, I feel like that um, Balmoral, that Scotland... I mean, there's the, the, actually, it may have been the film The Queen with Helen Mirren, when she's going up through the, uh, the, the the grounds of Balmoral and she sees the big stag and everything and just the beauty, the wildness, but also the privacy that she had there, mm-hmm. I think. But, but I, think, I think she will have known her own health and I think it was her final act of duty to the United Kingdom. Yeah. I, think, I think she knew that her time was near and that Scotland, Balmoral was, the, was, was where she was. My favourite Balmoral story was the, the guy, I think it was on Sky or something, and he worked with the Queen at Balmoral, one of her pages or valets or something. And he was asked to reminisce, and he said uh, that he'd been walking with her in the mm. uh, Balmoral estate, and they come across two American tourists who didn't recognise the Queen. And so they start talking, and they say to the Queen, oh, you know, do you have a holiday home here? She went, actually, I do, yes, just over the hill, Balmoral. And they said, oh, wow, really? So you come here often? I do, yeah. Oh, you must have met the Queen. And she said... Well, I haven't, but he has, pointing to the, the valet or the page, whatever he was, or security guy, whatever he was, and he chuckled. And then the American couple says, well, what's she like? And I think he said something like, I think she, she could be a bit cantankerous, you know, <laughs> with the Queen roaring with laughter. And then they asked the Queen to take a picture of them with this famous guy who knew the Queen, who'd met the Queen. And then they did do one with the Queen as well, all four of them. And the Queen apparently chuckled afterwards and went, I just can't wait to hear I wish I could be a fly on the wall when he gets home, those two. And they show their family the, the holiday snaps. <laughs> oh, well, look, we met this really famous guy who met the Queen. <laughs> like, that is the Queen! Um, that, but that was her sense of humour. Yeah. That sense of mischief. I mean, you experienced it. Just going to uh, reset. Just, just wait here a moment, because I think I'd like to continue this conversation. I'd like to take a, a short moment now to reflect on Her Majesty's extraordinary life. Today we mourn, but we also remembered. We commemorated... A famous pledge fulfilled. I know that your support will be unfailingly given. God help me to make good my vow. And God bless all of you who are willing to share in it. We can all share the Queen's hope, which in life and death inspired her servant leadership. Service in life hope in death. All who follow the Queen's example and inspiration of trust and faith in God can with her say, we will meet again. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. 
From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Well, it's 8.01. Welcome to the second hour of a special programme on the day of the funeral of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, the greatest Britain. It's been a deeply moving day for all of us, I think, of grief but also gratitude and celebration of a life extraordinarily well-lived. Uh, it's also been spectacular, hasn't it? Without any question, a moment of great history, a day I don't think any of us will ever forget. Uh, we're back with my, my panel. Just, just didn't want to leave it there. I wanted just to get your final recollections, really, um, or, or, or thoughts about the Queen. As we move now to a new era, a new monarch, a new country in many ways, how do you think history will remember her? I wonder if she realised how much she was loved. Yes. I think, I think she probably realised she was very much respected and admired, but I wonder how much she realised she was loved. And I think when you, when you listen to everything that's come across in the last 10 days or so, that's come across very, very strongly from people right across the United States. I mean, I, I feel grateful, Richard Tice, that we had the Platinum Jubilee because I was told, I don't know, back in February, March, that there were serious concerns about her health and there was a chance she may not make the Jubilee. And I was told this by somebody who knew, who was hearing this from senior family. And so they were all incredibly relieved that she did actually hang on long enough to enjoy what turned out to be a fantastic celebration of her reign in her lifetime, where she was still there to understand what we but thought But there was about. a sense, actually, Piers, that she rallied. She rallied for that extraordinary yes. occasion in the same way I think she actually rallied in order to bring in the 15th Prime Minister. I think that we will always say she was always there. Mm. She was the constant. And we now know just how much she was admired all over the world. Yes, I agree. What are your final thoughts about the Queen? Oh, gosh, so many. I mean, I it's think hard it's, to crystallise it, I isn't think it? it's very hard to crystallise. I also think it's going to be quite interesting how everybody feels tomorrow and in the coming mm. days... Um, because we've had this huge... You know, first there's the shock, then we've had this nine days. Mm -hmm. People have joined that queue, which became like a pilgrimage, which was sort of quite staggering, really. I spoke to a woman on, on, on radio on, on Saturday who was 70 and had done 12 hours, and I said, were you tired? Didn't your feet hurt? And she said, no, 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 the spirit just carried me mm -hmm. through. I, she adored the Queen so much. She's from Jamaica. And I think it's going to be... It's going to be quite interesting how this week goes because there is going to be, quite understandably, a moment of sort of dip. Do you know what I thought? And so I think I'd... particularly maybe for the royal family and you wonder with well, Prince Charles that that moment of faith is going to... His faith yeah. is going to carry but him But I think through. they now have a week of private mourning where they just disappear yeah. now from, from sight and they, they have a chance to mourn as a family. I mean, I, I thought that the queue in many ways uh, was quite interesting actually... Even Americans on American television today were talking about the queue, and they never didn't know what the word means. They, they say line, but they've all, the queue has become this world famous thing. This British queue for the British. I monarch. described it as the queue of all queues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I, there was a, there were uh, several things about the queue which really moved me. One was just hearing all the stories from the people being interviewed all the time. I found it quite mesmerising. 
Secondly, seeing them, how they actually paid their respects. I found that live stream mesmerising. Mm. I just used to watch it for, like, half an hour every now and again. And you see people either nodding or muttering thank you or curtsying, whatever it was, just so simple but so respectful and so moving. And then there was the last person in the queue today who turned out to be a woman who was in the RAF. We're not quite sure what she did, but I'm sure the papers will tell us tomorrow. Um, and she had been twice. So she'd gone through once and then gone straight back to the back of the queue and queued all over again and was actually the last person to come in. And I thought, well, that doesn't epitomise the Queen's mm. stoicism, determination, mm. respect, dignity, all those things mm. that the Queen represents, and nothing does. But don't you rather hope that, in the same way when we went out and clapped the NHS, there was a moment of real unity? And I hope... And I remember keeping that sort of inside me for quite mm. a long time yeah. afterwards. And I still think back... I do hope that we do take something more profound from this. I totally this. agree. I As a country, we, we came together go, and yes. that stays with us in, in some way. We don't all just go back yeah. where everyone's being horrible on social media and everyone's going, everything's completely awful and this country's awful. You know, I do think... Why don't we just ask each other? She wanted to leave us something. Well, I think, Reverend Greenshaw, just to end this, this part of the, of the show, I just think if we all just take a moment every now and again and say, well, what would the Queen do? in this situation, what would she say? What would she feel? That we won't go far wrong, because her basic gut instinct for what represented the greatest of British values actually is what made this country great. Mm. And we've deviated way too far from what she stood for. Mm. And I, by the way, include myself. I'm not claiming to be some virtuous person here. I think I've been watching it going, you know, what, can we learn? What, what can we learn? And actually, it's going back a bit, actually. Mm. Reset and go back to those great values. Thank you to my panel. And, what an honour for you and uh, how brilliantly you delivered it and how extraordinary that you were with the Queen on that last weekend. And you must have just remarkable memories. You'll never, you'll never lose never that. Never forget, yeah. yeah. Great to see you. Thank you very thank much. You. And thank you both uh, for coming in. I want to go now to uh, Rupert Bell, who's our talk radio ro uh, royal correspondent. Uh, Rupert, your brother was actually at St George's Chapel there as part of the racing community and, and Westminster Abbey indeed. And in fact, I know somebody else who was there um, purely because of the racing connection as well. So a lot of racing people seem to have been involved today, which would have been how the Queen would have wanted it. Absolutely. It has to be, because um, I know all those trainers, just as you were talking to the person from the church, they, they were talking to her right to the very end. And I know from my own brother's experience, he was talking to her the, the last week and... He always relished his conversations with the Queen about horses, not only the horses that often ran for him, not particularly well for the Queen, but he, he put on a brave face and she was very philosophical about it, but she would want to talk about everything. And I know what it, it, it's a huge privilege for well, my family and for my brother that, that he was able to train for her and he had plenty of winners. He trained the, the winner that was the first horse trained by the... Uh, in the Queen's Colours that was ridden by Hayley Turner, a lady jockey. So he had some wonderful memories, and uh, I know as a family we do as well. But I think the important thing was the brain was absolutely still on the money right to the very end, as we've heard from every person, you know, even Liz Truss. And that's, I think, what has sort of taken everyone by surprise, that she was still able to operate, yet the suddenness of what happened, when you think, Piers, that two weeks ago we were announcing a new prime minister uh, and, and all that that entailed, and then we fast-forward to today, 
We've just seen the most extraordinary outpouring of affection from this country, both in, here in London at Westminster Abbey and then subsequently at St George's Chapel and all those people in between. It's been the most extraordinary seismic moment in our country's history. Yeah, and Rupert, the, the, the pallbearers, uh, the fascinating story behind them, all from the 1st Battalion of the Grenadier Guards, I'm told that there were a pool of around 30 who've been basically rehearsing this for quite some time and that five of them actually were flown back from Iraq where they've been in operational duties. So these are obviously acting, uh, serving soldiers. Um, what do you know about these pallbearers? Because they've become national heroes. I mean, I think that particularly when they were going up the steps at St George's Chapel, uh, carrying this, well, this, this huge, heavy coffin, tremendous pressure on them. Yeah, well, I'm an ex-grenadier, so for me, as an ex-grenadier, hugely proud. Yes, I know the Queen's Company, as it's still named, it won't be called the King's Company uh, until maybe a week down the line. So those soldiers from the Queen's Company, the 1st Battalion, it's now the only battalion of the Grenadier Guards, but, of course, they were hugely important throughout the ceremonial duties today. But those eight soldiers uh, who were carrying the, the coffin, I mean, five of them were in Iraq just, uh, no, ten days ago. And so they've had to rehearse um, within non-stop since then. And, of course, they're rehearsing with a coffin that is uh, weighs exactly the same. And the young ensign who was part of that party uh, was only commissioned last September. So from a grenadier point of view, as I am, an ex-grenadier and a pretty ordinary one at that too, <laughs> it gives a huge sense of pride that the grenadiers were at, at the heart of it again. And those young men, it was the pressure on them yeah. because that is not an easy job that, to actually carry that up those steps in St George's Chapel but also, it actually shows the commitment of the whole ceremonial aspect of what happened today. There were soldiers and service women coming from all corners of the globe to take part in that, 6,000 of them having to make sure their part didn't let the bit down. Clearly, those guardsmen were in the front line, as it were, because they had some serious you know, moments to do into St George's Chapel, Westminster Abbey and other elements. Yeah. But you've actually got to give your heart to every single service, men and women, because they were equally as committed to the cause. And as an ex-military man, uh, they did this country proud and they have rightly achieving all the plaudits because it was magical at every step of the way today. It was. It was completely magnificent. Uh, thank you very much, Rupert Bell. Appreciate you joining me. Uh, well, joining me now is another military man who attended the late Queen's funeral today, the former head of the British Army, Lord Dannett. Lord Dannett, great to have you, because I just... I can't even imagine what it was like to be actually at the funeral. We just heard from one of the speakers there, was clearly very moved. What was it like for you? Uh, mm. This was your commander-in-chief, of course, for so long. Well, Piers, of course, it was a huge privilege to be there. But, you know... I think the thing that was probably perhaps most significant, um, my wife and I were sitting in the nave, um, we were in the front row of the nave, but as the late Queen's coffin came by, only two, three, four feet away from one, one thought, ah, this is now really serious. This is the, this is the end of her fantastic reign. And they just brought it home at that particular moment. I mean, the service was fantastic. 
Um, the singing was wonderful, you know, the Archbishop spoke well, the lessons were read well, but just that moment of the coffin passing by, my wife curtsied, I bowed, I mean, that's what we should do. Uh, we just suddenly both said afterwards, oh, that's the moment under our noses, as it were, in front of us. This wonderful 70-year reign has ended, but now we've got to look forward to the future. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I was at Buckingham Palace all day, and I felt that moment, actually, when the procession passed by the palace. And I looked behind me, and I saw the hearse coming towards the end of the procession. So it had been like a good 15, 20 minutes of procession first. And then suddenly the, the crowd went very quiet, and you saw the hearse come. And then I just watched the hearse go round the corner of the, the big sort of centrepiece there and come right in front of the palace. I think we're looking at the images now. And I found that a really moving moment because I suddenly realised that would be my personal, my last glimpse of the Queen that I would ever have. Uh, and I found that very moving, actually. And I think a lot of people have been quite surprised well, how emotional they felt about all this. Um, Piers, I think you're absolutely right. And, and those who then, um, whether they were present or watching on television, I think when you saw the... The shots of the committal service um, later on this afternoon and of the new king and the national anthem was sung, you could just see his eyes welling up when he realised that, yes, this was the moment. His beloved mother, our beloved queen, has now gone and all the responsibilities of the kingdom now lie on his shoulders and, and it weighed up. I think for all of us, at some point during the day, the point really came home that this wasn't just theatre, this wasn't just pageantry, this wasn't just what the UK does best, what Britain does best. This was real, it was personal, and it was the end of the second Elizabethan era. But I think we have to be positive. Uh, and I think uh, the Archbishop's sermon was absolutely right. Um, hope is a very important part of today. Um, Fantastic what Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II has done, the leadership she's shown, the dedication to duty. But we move on. And um, we now have a new king. Uh, we've got a lot of difficulties in the country. Energy crisis, cost of living crisis, new prime minister. We've got to move on. We've got to move forward. We've got to set our sights ahead of ourselves. Um, but like this sort of ancient um, ploughman, who were ploughing their furrows. They, they picked a, something in the, just ahead of them and they drove their horses towards it and that's the straight line that they took. We've got to take a straight line to better places. And frankly, we've got a new king, we've got a new prime minister. I'm apolitical, but we've just got to drive this country forward. There's so much opportunity here. Let's rejoice in what's happened in the past, but actually fix our energy and our hope on the future. This is a great country. It has been a great country. It is a great country. And it will continue to be a great country. We've all got to put our shoulders into the work. Absolutely magnificently said. You're not available to join the Cabinet, are you? Any capacity. <laughs> we'll take you as anything, Lord uh, Dunnett. Um, no, I, I will if I'm asked. <laughs> well, you know what? We could do an awful Thanks, lot worse please. than having someone with your attitude, because we need a bit of positivity and can-do mentality, and you were certainly like that when you ran the British Army. It's been a great uh, well, honour to have you tonight on this very special occasion, given that you were there in your capacity as one of our finest soldiers. So thank you very much.
And, and, and Piers, uh, thank you. Are, are we still on? Yes, we are, yeah. Yep. Um, one of the lovely things was, as all the royal family came past, um, Prince Harry looked in our direction and said to my wife, hello, Pippa. Just wonderful that he was back. Um, I just think Harry is great. <clears throat> I just hope he's got a, a role to play in our country in the future. I mean, it is such a shame, isn't it, what's going on there? Because there's clearly this huge rift with the two brothers. There's a rift between King Charles and his son, Harry. And at the moment, it seems quite deep-rooted. But you do get a sense that Harry, having been immersed back into his former life in the last 10 days, it would, be, it would take a heart of stone, which I don't think he has, to not be personally affected by it in a way that may make him think, am I, am I going the right way? with my new life, you know, constantly attacking the family, the monarchy and so on. Is this really helping anybody? Well, I think the events of the last few days must have had a significant effect on Prince Harry uh, and his wife, Meghan. I, I don't know what their private thought processes are, what their personal ambitions are. But what I do know absolutely is that Harry loves this country he loved the armed forces, his time in the army, his two deployments to Afghanistan, and I was quite involved in, in both of those, were absolutely formative in his life. Um, I wish him all the best. I wish Meghan all the best. But frankly, from my point of view, and I think the British Armed Forces point of view, and a veteran's point of view, we miss Harry. We love Harry. Um, I don't know how the future's going to work out, but I hope he's got a role to play in this country in the future. Well, I hope he was listening to that because I think coming from you, that will mean a lot to him. You know, my brother-in-law actually uh, taught him at Sandhurst oh. and, and said he, he spoke very highly of him, said he was an excellent soldier, as indeed William was, very popular with the, oh. the other uh, guys, and he, he feels very sad about it too. Well, I persuaded Harry after his first tour in Afghanistan when he wanted to go back there. I said, Harry, the only thing you can do is go back within the anonymity of a helicopter cockpit. And, cut a long story short, um, he trained to be a helicopter pilot, and he was a good helicopter pilot. And on his weapons course, he was the top gun. So he's a top soldier, bless him. Um, such a, a, a great guy. And all the soldiers, all the veterans, absolutely worship him. He has a significant role to play in this country. Somehow, he and Meghan have got to find a way to balance their lives between whatever they want to do in the States, in California. But actually, he has a role to play in this country. I know he can't be a part-time royal, but somehow there's got to be a role for him because, actually, we need him here. A lot of people love him Do you know what I think here. he needs, Lord Dunn? And we miss him, frankly. It's very, it's very interesting listening to you talk because you know him well um, and you know what he feels, obviously, about a lot of the, the military part of his life. Uh, I think maybe he needs a trip from you. Maybe get on a plane to California and go and talk some sense into him. Well, um... The weather's no, right, nice Tim. this time of year. Um, but he... But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely right. Well, um, yeah, maybe. Well, Piers, thank you for the suggestion. If you'd like to send me a ticket, um, yeah, <laughs> off we go. And let's see what happens. But, um, but actually, it's not for me to determine his life and his family's life. He's got his own issues. But all, I, all I'd say is that... He has played a significant role in this country. I hope he continues to find a way to play a significant role in this country within the sort of wider environ of the royal family. Um, but it was just great to see him here today 
And, um, yeah. yeah, well, you know, it's been a fantastic day, a tragic day, a sad day, but we have to move forward. And King Charles III, God save the king. Well done it. What a, what a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks, Piers. Fascinating conversation. Well, joining me now is Talk TV presenter Sharon Osborne, the Times political sketch writer Quentin Letts, Talk TV contributor Esther Cracky. Well, well, I wasn't expecting that, actually, uh, Sharon, Lord Dannett, giving that kind of take on, on Harry. And I actually found it quite moving because he knows him from his military time, clearly feels very sad about what's happened. But, you know, try, as part of his positivity um, call, trying to see if there's a way back for him. Well, what do you it's, think? Uh, well, I... I felt the same when I when I saw him back in this country mm. and I saw him part of the royal family again. It made me very sad. I I, I honestly felt mm. sad that you know this is his home. This is where he belongs. The country loved him so much, and I'm sure they still do. The majority, mm. and it's just like. <laughs> Listen, nobody knows what goes on in any family, let alone the royal family. But was it so drastic that you had to turn to California to live a life like a celebrity? Yeah. Quentin Letts, you're a brilliant sketch writer. I don't even know where you start with a day like today. Well, I think you start with the fact that it was a state occasion. It was very, very stately. And yeah. it's been a brilliant success in that respect. Were you moved personally by it? I was less moved today than I expected to be until Westminster, uh, until uh, Windsor. Right. And uh, I thought the Windsor service, perhaps because it had a bit more Cranmer to it, a bit more prayer book to it, uh, and didn't was not quite so encumbered by stately mm. um, majesty. I thought that uh, Windsor sort of got me going a bit more. But the, st the silence mm. in the, uh, the Abbey service between the last post and Ravalli, yeah. that was a very powerful it moment was for powerful, me. Yeah. And also the arrival of the coffin uh, being pulled by the naval ratings. Mm. They came on and the, the music stopped and then they did 15 extra paces and then halted. Yeah. And as they marched, they were marching on sand, it made a strange sound. It made a sound a bit like shaking brown sugar in a, in a, in a packet. Uh, very powerful, just the sound of those marching footsteps coming to a, to a halt. That, that was my, a moment that stood out Some me. people are seeing this as a kind of re-energised view to the world of what Britain does best and therefore fantastically positive and forward-looking, re-energising the monarchy. Others have said maybe this is, you know, the, the beginning of the end, this is the top it's ever going to be, that this monarch was as great as we could ever expect and that actually support for the monarchy will now slowly start to fade away. What do you think? Well, I suspect that the poll numbers, if you judge these things by polls, which I don't, uh, by poll ratings, then uh, possibly there will be a little bit of a decline for a bit, because that's inevitable after such an enormous peak like this. But what you saw today, and what you've seen the last 10 days, is the public saying, we are proud of our country, we are proud of our crown, we like things the way that they are, we think this is a pretty good place to live, mm. and um, the... That the way that that has been asserted by the public will be absorbed by politicians. And I think perhaps the political class will be less beholden to Twitter in the future. The problem with the political class, it seems to me, in comparison to, say, this Queen in particular, we never knew what she thought about anything. And the fact if anything ever got leaked, it was the biggest story of all time because we just never heard what, she, what her thoughts were publicly about anything. It didn't mean she didn't have them. She just didn't express them in public. 
Politician. She was not disputatious, was right. she? She was the opposite of disputatious. She was a completely unifying person. She was, she was, she was a, a fount of calm. Right, so how, so how do politicians who necessarily take strong positions on issues which are necessarily politically polarising, how can they hope to emulate that kind of unifying spirit? And the same applies in America, where it's almost impossible now. Everything is split down the middle... Half the country believes one thing about most stuff. Half the country believes the other. And there's no and it's coming not together. it's united. It is no well, Sharon, longer you, you, United you, States you of America. You and coming back because it is so divisive. Well, because yes. I, think, I think the politicians... I mean, the answer to that is the politicians have to disagree because debate is essential in yeah. Parliament. But, it's got so toxic. But at the same time, they need to take their, their lead much less from that engine of rancour that is social media. Yes. And... Uh, I think that too much of our politics and our political discourse has been guided by the rancour. The latest pile-on from social media, yeah. yes. Those things really don't matter. Right. Esther, what do young people make of today, of King Charles, of the monarchy, of the future? You're, you're a young person. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually seen... I was quite surprised. I saw a lot of posts on social media, you know, obviously bidding farewell to the Queen and actually saying, God save the King. I've actually seen kind of an uptick in patriotism that I wasn't expecting. Right. I'm, I'm very curious, though, how the new Prime Minister, the, the, the relationship she will have with King Charles, because he's obviously very vocal on things like the Rwanda policy, mm -hmm. on, on, the, on green um, policy and all of that. I just wonder what sort of their weekly meetings will be, because it's, it's a lot harder to... Well, funny enough, Sharon and I were talking know. about this on, on Fox this afternoon, and I took a slight issue, because, Sharon, you think he's going to continue to be outspoken about issues he cares about, because he's been proven right about some of them. Absolutely. Um, but I, I think he has made a decision that what, now he's monarch, he's not going to do this. I really think he's decided that the only way to be a popular and long-surviving monarch, beloved by the people like his mother, is just to simply stop making public pronouncements <laughs> about anything that is remotely... Political, and that would include things like climate change, which are dear to his heart. So I just don't think we're going to see him no, do that. I, I, the one thing that you did say was absolutely right, that you're never going to please the mob. It's always going to be half of it that's against you. Yeah. yeah. So Whatever opinion you expect. I mean, look, we know. I could go on Twitter and say, you know, I love Monday, right, as a day. And within 10 minutes, there would be the most unbelievable pile of people <laughs> agreeing with me. Oh, I love it. I love Monday. Yeah. Like, Favourite day of the year, and here's why. Other people say, are you mad? Have you lost your mind? Monday's the worst day of all time. In other words, everything has to immediately lead to an extreme exactly. reaction. Everything has to be a toxic debate. Mm -hmm. It can't be just a bit of fun. Uh, and that's the way Twitter, well, in particular, that, social media, has whipped everyone in a kind of permanent lather. Oh, yeah. And I don't, I don't divorce myself from part of this, by the way, because I, I quite often get sucked in and start, you know, having You're a go. You're a very consensual figure, aren't you? I, I like to think that I am uh, somebody who expresses firmly held Oil opinions. Oil on the water. Yeah. <laughs> it does I'm, not taking, I'm not taking divisive lectures from you, Les. Uh, <laughs> one of the most brilliant and yet pungent writers in the business. I don't um, think Charles can possibly become political. He can't, can he? He can't. Uh, and if he looks at his mother's record, I mean, his his, his well, advisors... Well, obviously, he can't continue to be political, because he yeah. has been no, quite he can't political. continue to do that. Yeah. And, and I think he accepted that on the, the first Friday when he said, my role is now going to change. Yes. Yeah. And he has to just pull back from that and be a much more a tranquil presence. And, you, and, and he has to be... But I do, hope, I do hope that... I mean, his is a face that, that naturally frowns a lot. Yes. I want my king 
I'm proud of King Charles. I love Charles. To smile more. To I smile want him more. to smile more. Yeah, yeah. And he's he's good at laughter. I mean, look, I want let's to be see fair. That side of him. He, yeah, in, he is so course, far in his reign, he's been mourning his mother. Of course. And I think that's easy yeah, to no, forget. So he's had to tour the country, probably take a hundred phone calls a day yeah. from world leaders and stuff. Yeah. He's exhausted. You know, console, yeah, console his family. Show us he's king. I mean, the pressure on the guy is just unbelievable. He took it out on a pen. That's how bad things are. Yeah. Um, Sharon. What does it say about our country today, do you think? What did you feel when you were watching it? Were you getting emotional about a country from the past that we're slightly losing or have lost? Or did you feel in a way it was a good chance to refocus us on what makes this country great? A bit of both, yeah. really, Piers, a bit of both. I love the way that the whole country was so united and so together and there was so much positivity when you would go into the streets and yet there are you know certain groups here that are against royalty but i think overall i think the royal royalty i hope to god is safe here. yeah i mean i think so but i think it would be we have a special thing there's 40 odd monarchies left in the world uh, of which 12 are european you could take all the european royals outside of ours down Tottenham Court Road, and no Nobody one would know would who know. they are, right? No, faceless. Um, so I think that we are in a very unique position with our monarchy. It is I a unique we're, we're, our, institution our in, in terms hands, of fame and, and global renown, right? I think it's in safe hands. I think one of the things I would say about the younger generation, we're genuinely excited about William and Kate. And I think what would be really smart for Charles to do is to draw on that. Any sort of engagements that he has that, you know, is very near and dear to his heart, he should actually make sure that William is very present there because it's kind of like handing down the What's mantle What's going to happen, Quentin, with the, the Commonwealth? You know, you're seeing Jacinda Ardern from New Zealand saying it's inevitable that in her lifetime New Zealand will go republic. Australia's flirting with it. It has a new leader, mm -hmm. Anthony Albanese, who is certainly... You know, not being full on Republican, but certainly indicated that he may go that way if the people wanted it. You're seeing some of the Caribbean countries immediately indicating they want to have referendums within several years. You know, this could, if, it, if he's not careful, King Charles III, you could get a domino effect of countries suddenly thinking the Commonwealth as a concept is over. I think that uh, the, the two slightly different things being conflated there, whether or not Charles is head of state or whether or not... Um, countries are part of the Commonwealth. Mm. It's two slightly different things. Uh, I think you have to let those countries decide for themselves. Mm. And to try to resist that or try to impose um, uh, our royal family as their heads of state as well would be entirely wrong and counterproductive. Mm. And so you live and let live. And but you I let, let these countries decide for How themselves. How much is the, is the racism allegation which Meghan Markle, the first biracial member of the royal family, of course... <laughs> How much has her racism claims, do you think, Esther, had an impact, but certainly in, in some of the Caribbean countries? I do think it's had a negative impact, but not as much as people think, because I don't think they're highly respected figures, Harry and Meghan. I right. think they come across as quite whingy. And I genuinely think most people that talk about the Commonwealth don't understand it. You know, there's so many people in the Commonwealth that were glued to their TVs today. There's so many people from mm. the Commonwealth that actually are very fond of, of, of the monarchy and the royal family um, for various reasons. I think one thing I have noticed with sort of the Republican wave is it's very cyclical in terms of politics. So you have a Labour leader in Australia, you have Jacinda Ardern, who couldn't be more left-wing if she tried. Mm. You know, they're always more on the Republican side of things. But again, if, you know, the elections swing the other way and you have more right-leaning governments in, they're not probably, probably going to push for... By the way, Quentin, there was a moment today where... If you've done your sketch... For tomorrow. I've filed. Because I don't know if you spotted this, but there was an, I think it was an Australian crew, I think it was, 
Uh, <laughs> there's a clip of uh, an Australian... Now, we all had difficulty today identifying you know, public said, figures, yeah. right? A lot of them were, you know, heads of states, which we just didn't recognise and so on. But you would have thought they that may have... That would have been had... Liz Truss, by the way. Have you yeah. seen this? Have you seen this? <laughs> Look at this. No, hard to identify. Maybe uh, minor royals, members of the... I can't identify them we at this point. We can't spot everyone, no. unfortunately. They look like they could well be local dignitaries. It's hard to see. We're looking at the backs of their heads mostly. But I think we are now getting to the pointy end, as they say, of the... Was I'm just told that was Liz Trust, the new Prime Minister, in the distance that we could see hopping Going out of that car. Come on, Australia. Down to, down to the dregs. Oh, By the way, did you sake. see the spike? I recognised your Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, immediately and announced well, him on American I television. I think you're too ahead of me there, but uh, did you see the spider? When the, when the coffin came in at mm. the west door and was being carried into the abbey, there was a spider visible on the wreath. It was a lovely touch. Really? I thought a lovely moment. There was a, a living creature on, on the coffin. It was, uh, yeah, I mean... I love moments like that. As Tony a... Blair, did you see Tony Blair I wearing did. his garter? What? He needs a haircut, I thought. <laughs> uh, um... I think he was, he's morphing back to his old rock god days, isn't he? Do you think? Yeah. I, I didn't recognise like him. Yeah. I honestly didn't It's quite didn't funny watching them him. all together because what I'm told is, I, I was asking someone who's you know connected to one of the prime ministers, and all the living prime ministers were there. So you've got John Major, you've got Tony Blair, Gordon Brown, you've mm-hmm. got David Cameron, you've got Theresa May, and Boris Johnson, and although. Here's David Cameron today. Although this is all that we're going to see uh, coming past here. So <laughs> there's Gordon Brown. So you have them all, all these incredibly different people, all of whom have been at loggerheads at various stages there's, with each other. There's the wrong there's dog, a, there's Tony. There's the old waxwork. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's an interesting thing time. that apparently when they all get together, there is, there is a shared commonality of experience of being Prime Minister yeah. that actually does bring them together a bit. Except for Major and Boris. Is that right? They will not talk. Really? Yeah. Really? Is that right? Complete daggers drawn. They're always kept as far apart as possible. Only, you know, only plastic knives when those two are. Around. Is it really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it must be a strange club. There's only six of them, aren't there, left? Yeah. It's quite a lot. We've um, never had so many. Uh, uh, how uh, many surviving? There's only about five, six no, US presidents. I mean, yeah. these are small clubs that people are in. Absolutely. Yeah, they, they've known the, the codes to the nuclear uh, button. And mm. that, that does have a sort of... Um, a gelling thing, and also they're in the, probably the same speakers. Mm. Uh, um, how many? I guess employment. Four, four American presidents, isn't it? It's, how many four are still alive? Trump, Biden, mm-hmm. Obama, Clinton, Carter. Carter, five. yes. Yeah. And Carter's now in his late nineties. Yeah. Extraordinary yes. man. Actually. Yeah. Um, Biden, yeah. I thought, should have been given a more prominent position today. I thought it was a pity that uh, our most important ally wasn't perhaps. Given a slightly better seat, I think he was really? down, he was down, yeah, down he somewhere near the the, the yeah. top man from Andorra. I think was <laughs> <laughs> near him. But you know that's that's the democracy of, of a church service. And what a, a lot of fantastic singing there was. Yes, the the hymn singing. I thought I thought the chorus was yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Yes, I wasn't sure about some of the music in the Abbey. Uh, the Macmillan piece didn't really do it. Did me. you get emotional, Sharon, watching? Very. Did you? Yeah. What yeah, was the moment very. through the whole day where you were most affected? You think? Just, it was just one of those days where you really just wanted to concentrate on watching every minute of it. I didn't yeah. want to talk to anyone. Yeah. I just wanted to watch it all because, as I said to you earlier, it's history. Yeah. yeah. I, I, the moment for me, actually, was when, um, right at the end, when her coffin started to be lowered. Oh. I found that very, yeah. very affecting mm-hmm. on me. Because I thought, well, that really is the end. That's yeah. it. That's going to be the last but moment I, I we thought, see the Queen. I thought, this is it. She's now with her husband. Yes, well, that's yeah. the uplifting part of yes. the day. Is that right at the very start, 
there was at the Abbey, there was the ringing, the tolling 96 times of mm. the tenor bell yeah. at the Abbey. And uh, you'll have been to uh, English country church funerals. Very much so. They do the same thing. They ring the bell. They didn't ring it 96 times, of course. Yeah. But the single bell summoning the faithful to prayer. Yes and the mourners to prayer. And I thought that was and very the gun effective. Salute, of course, that was because at the heart of this, was it was a state occasion, but it's also an Anglican funeral. Yes. Yeah. And the commendation when the Archbishop of Canterbury, I haven't always been his greatest fan, uh, Justin Welby. I don't imagine many people are. But, well, he did it very well. The, yeah, the commendation at the end, where he said, go forth, O Christian soul. Yeah. It was very touching. This yes, was, it was. This was a, 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 a narrow coffin there. Narrow coffin. Did you notice how, yeah. how narrow so it was? Tiny. Uh, and there, that was the focus on it. Was on the on the coffin. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Vinod. Sharon, we're going to love you and leave you. Thank you very much, Lee. You're being replaced by one of the world's greatest historians. I'm sure you won't mind. There he is, <laughs> waiting in the wind. Anthony Selden. <laughs> Fascinating to see what he thinks about this from a historical perspective. There he is. Well, tonight, Queen Elizabeth II has been laid to rest with her husband, Prince Philip, at a private ceremony. Earlier, she arrived at St George's Chapel in Windsor for an intimate committal service and one last public goodbye. She was separated from her crown, orb and scepter for the final time. As I said, joining me now is historian Sir Anthony Selden, and I'm still with the Times political sketch writer Quentin Letts and talk TV contributor Esther Kraku. What a day. I mean, from a historian point of view, what were you thinking as you watched all this unfurl today? Magical, uh, extraordinary. Yeah. Can any other country on Earth do it like that? Mm. Why are a quarter of the world's population, is it more or less about that, listening to this? What are they thinking? What do they think of these extraordinary buildings and traditions? And is this going to be the final moment? Is this the end of the long Second World War? And now there'll be a, just a long recessional for Britain as it goes forward? Or can we reinvent ourselves post-Brexit and with a new monarch and find a new identity and sense of purpose? What's, because, the, what's the answer? Well, I think we absolutely can. I think the monarch's going to be really important in that. I think yeah. we all misunderstand the monarch. The monarch is like the chair... Uh, of a company. The, mon the, the, the monarch keeps the tradition, the history, and has they, a long-term interest. And they set values as well. Absolutely. I mean, look, 15 prime ministers for, 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 the, for Elizabeth, they come and go, uh, they strut on the stage, they signify not very much, very few of them make any difference. The monarchy holds Britain in, the, uh, in, in its arms and, and carries it forward. It cares about the physical fabric, the culture, the traditions. It cares about the deep education. So I think the monarchy, yeah, I mean, I think Charles was ahead of his time in so many ways. I, I, what I felt today was, certainly quite strongly at various points, was after all the chaos of our government, the mm. Boris Johnson administration, party gates, mm. all that kind of stuff, <laughs> reminded, of course, of the picture of the Queen at Philip's funeral on her own in a mask, yeah. obeying the rules because she thought that was her duty, and it turned out half of Downing Street were on the lash inside the building 
the night before and so on. You know, all that sort of disrespect mm. and undignified conduct in, in, in the highest yeah. echelons of our establishment. This was a reminder, actually, of the very, very best of our conduct as a country and dignity and establishment. World-class, servant leadership. Yeah. We loved her because she. it was never about me, her publicity, her money. She was dignified. She cared for people. She knew how to behave at all times. I wonder how those leaders in the Abbey today and those watching who wish they were there think, who, who lead often brutal, arrogant, uh, selfish, well, actually, extravagant lives. Well, it was a very interesting point, wasn't it, Quentin, by the Archbishop of Canterbury when he, he made this speech about why the Queen was so beloved, because she gave herself to service to others. And she's, you know, unlike, he said, those who yes. cling to power and privilege. And you were looking around the room thinking, well, there's quite a few here that might have blanched <laughs> And he that. was pointing straight down the South Transit at that point, he which was. is where all the world leaders were sitting. So, uh, uh, well done, well be on that front. Yeah. I think, I just go back to this idea of the, 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 this, this uh, event today, but also the last 10 days, has been about a revival of peacefulness. Yeah. Mm. And that has been why the Queen was... One of the reasons was that she was so dearly loved yes. was that she was this mm. idea of silence right, against all the to-do and clamour of the political world. Now, we're in, in, inevitably going to return to some of that clamour, but maybe it can just be a little bit do you know less what I, frantic. Do you know what? I wish you were right. I've got a horrible feeling. I've got a horrible very, feeling very I'm wrong. quickly, probably I... tomorrow morning, we're all going to get stuck back into... But even just hearing you, Piers, talking about Partygate there, it yeah. suddenly felt terribly old-fashioned. No, no, that, uh, I'm not talking about no, Partygate. No, 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 but... It, that, the, the no, I know what you mean. The idea mean. of all that... I'm more concerned about the, the, the actual reality of, of the cost of living crisis. Yes, no, that, that would be much more honourable. Of, of the war in Europe and yes. so on and so on. There's lots of yeah. massive, massive things for a rookie prime minister and a rookie monarch to have to yeah. come to terms with. I want to bring in uh, Douglas Murray, who... I, I think you're in New York, Douglas? I am. What's it been like to be in New York watching all this as as a Brit from afar? Well, of course, it's very painful in many ways because there's nothing that makes you feel so homesick as seeing everything at home uh, so incredibly well and dignifiedly performed, seeing the real depths we have in Britain, the extraordinary rich traditions we have. It's very painful to see it and not to be a part of it, but I'm sure that many millions of people around the world have felt that. Um, for me, the extraordinary thing about the day was not just, again, the opportunity to reflect on the legacy of Elizabeth II, uh, and indeed to think forward, as so many people have, but to reflect on one of the things that the Queen said several times in her Christmas messages, which was to remind us not to throw out things just because newfangled ideas come in. And today we saw... Uh, a number of British institutions, perhaps all of them at their very best. And Britain and Britishness has been undergoing a very strange business in the last 20 years, forever questioning itself, forever saying, what are we? Who are we? Mm. And, and really, the answer was there today. Uh, Britain is a set of institutions which reciprocates the public. It mirrors the public. The public are the institutions, institutions of the public. The institution gains its legitimacy not by force of arms, but by 
honouring the public and the public then honour them back. The reciprocity of institutions was there today, of the House of Commons, the House of Lords, and of course the Church of England. And that's one of the most interesting ones, of course, today, because we saw the proper traditional rights of the Church of England, both in Westminster Abbey and in St George's Windsor. The Church of England over recent decades, for a long time now, has been throwing out its great liturgy, has been throwing away the great musical tradition that it has, one of the richest musical traditions in the world but we saw it again today and we heard it again today and we saw that this is what is appropriate to the deep moments like this so i would like to think that after today among many other things we might reflect on the fact that we have great inheritances in britain which it is our task to sustain because they are things of great value I completely concur with every single word you just said, beautifully put. I want to bring in a broadcaster and campaigner, Dame Esther Ranson now. Dame Esther, I, 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 was, I knew you were coming on tonight, I was thrilled to hear you were coming on. And as I've been waiting to speak to you, just being confirmed the Queen has now been buried beside her husband, Prince Philip. You, of course, had famously a, a wonderful marriage and sadly lost your husband. I felt the Queen went quite downhill quite fast after she lost Philip. What did you feel looking at that from afar? Uh, yes, possibly. Um, I've, obviously, that love, that partnership sustained her. She said so, didn't she? Mm. My stay and my rock. And those of us who've had partners who have been supportive, not uncritical, you know, not doormats, but right. certainly there when you need them. It, it makes a huge difference. And I was very mindful of the number of people. I mean, Desi died in the year 2000, so I've had 22 years to get used to it. But I know a lot of the callers to the silver line, you know, when people live the great, uh, the price you pay for old age is that you lose your closest relatives, your closest friends sometimes. And so I was talking to people on the Civil Line Helpline. I think we should pay tribute to all the people in all the charities who were working today because they knew that they would be people that needed them. And that was true both of Childline and of the Silver Line. But one of the callers today said, I'm at home dressed in black. I've got flowers. And I prepared my lunch, so I'm ready to watch the funeral. The Queen's death has brought back memories of when my sister died. It's such a sad day. You know, I think for a lot of people, it wasn't only an opportunity to watch these magnificent funerals, both in the Abbey and uh, in Windsor, which was so moving, wasn't it? The, the smaller mm. funeral too. But it was also a moment to try perhaps and come to terms with one's own loss. Or maybe if there's someone in our own lives or in our friendship group that may be having grief stirred up by memories, maybe we should bring them up and say... Or, or, um, or actually loneliness. There was a wonderfully evocative cartoon in the time today, I don't know if you saw it, by Morton Morland, which went viral... Yeah online today and just you know just the, the the cartoon speaks for itself it's uh, an yeah. elderly man on his own with an empty chair next to him clearly uh, his partner who we presume has has died watching the funeral on his own and it really resonated with people because that's really about loneliness one of the many things of course that silverline tackles 
so well with our, our elderly in this country. But loneliness can be very difficult for people, particularly at times like this, which are unifying times. And people do like to watch them with their partners or wives or husbands or families, whatever it may be. If you have no one to watch it with, it can almost exacerbate the feelings of loneliness and grief that you may have. I think that's absolutely right, Piers. I, I, I totally agree with you. I think when I wrote about uh, my feelings of loneliness, I had the most touching letter from a gentleman I got to know well called Bob, who died just before his 100th birthday. And he said that it was at that time 65 years since um, he married his beloved Catherine, recently died of Alzheimer's. But he said, more to the point, 72 years since we first kissed. And she waited for me throughout the war, <laughs> and I for her. Loneliness, tell me about it. Yeah. And I think an awful lot of people of the Queen's generation, but not only of the Queen's generation, will be missing desperately the shoulder that they used to lean on, the hand they used to hold. Yes. Dame Esther, thank you very much indeed for joining me. Greatly appreciate it on this very historic day for the country. Um, Anthony Selden, we've got to look now to the new king, the future. Um, Lord Dannett earlier talking about the need to be positive as a country. Mm. We've got a lot of different, difficult issues to deal with. How important is this monarch going to be in positioning that positivity for the country, do you think? Well, he's in a slight trap, isn't he? Because if he does talk out about the issues he cares about, he will get slaughtered. Uh, the media and critics uh, have held off attacking the Queen. She was simply unassailable. Yes. And now they, they, there's a lot of pent-up rage and they're just looking for Charles to make a slip. And yet, if he doesn't assert himself as the long-term voice of the custodian mm. uh, monarchy, we talk about the welfare monarchy, we need to talk about the custodian monarchy. Nobody else can care for this country and its long-term vitality and interests better than the monarch. Mm. Uh, the prime minister, they're elected on a slender uh, majority. You're right, monarchies are in decline. Those that are left, Japan does well. Very few, uh, no one, I don't think, does it as well as Britain, underpinning democracy, finding that way forward with Liz Truss and with her successors, mm. to somehow get the best out of the British people, make it work again. So we're not looking back, we're looking forward, and Britain has a unique role in the world, not just because of its language mm. and its culture and its history, where there's so much to be proud of. Esther, it's a big challenge for these two rookies. Yeah, definitely. The rookie monarch, albeit incredibly well qualified and the rookie prime minister who you know came up uh, two weeks ago i came back from a break <laughs> and there was the new prime minister and then the next day she met the queen and then two days later the queen was dead and we have a new king and then we have this today this is an extraordinary baptism of fire for a, a prime minister already facing myriad difficult challenges yep. absolutely and you know what's funny i i hear that the Queen's favourite Prime Minister was actually Churchill, 
right? Because she was a Northern. Well, it was her first to... prime minister. Exactly. And I think probably in terms of character, the most that she would have probably. most. Yes. Exactly. Because he, he epitomised resilience and determination and stoicism, and you know, his thing was keep buggering on KBO. Exactly. Hers was just get on with it. You know, a similar <laughs> kind of attitude. Yeah, and I'm 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 really hoping that Liz Truss has that same attitude because mm. we know that she's facing a myriad of problems. I actually really do not envy her because I wouldn't want to be in her position. But I also, you know, I actually feel for Charles as well because this is his kind of his first roll of the dice in, in that way. Yeah. And he's really stepping into this huge role. The, the, the future of the monarchy effectively rests on his shoulders. It's not, it's not an it's easy not, thing. Exactly. Um, we've got a few minutes left, uh, Quentin. Sum up this day and, and what it means and how history will judge this day, do you think? Well, this day will, I think, be bigger than the effect... ..will have a bigger effect than the funeral of poor Diana did. After Diana's death, the country changed. I think yeah. we can all remember that. And the country mm. became better at gushing and being more emotional and more uh, relaxed about life. And I suspect there may be a little bit of a, a tilt of the other wing now after this, because I think... I suspect that what Douglas was saying is correct and that in our wider culture and in our, our poets and our mm. writers and our painters and our musicians, will perhaps reconnect with the idea that the old and the traditional had some value. Yes. And so I think there may be some of that. I, I wouldn't go... You were talking earlier about, um, you know, the, the tremendous challenges facing the Prime Minister mm. and the King. I think you're alluding too much onto those two people. And uh, well, I mean, they're, they're, the, take, they're the figureheads, right? Events take their course. Electoral politics will happen, yeah. whatever happens, and uh, that will probably go wrong for somebody. That's always happens. Well, Keir Starmer's going to play the national the anthem king, for the first for the time on Labour Party conference. We haven't heard that for a while. For so. the king himself, the, 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 I think the ideal for me mm. would be a king who is just there, who is alongside us, who is a sympathetic ear, who is not trying to look after our morale. Let's look after our own morale. Douglas, um, have we got to stop apologising as a country for our past? Would that be a good way to move positively forward? A good way to move forward isn't just to stop apologising, but to actually know about it. Uh, there was a time, maybe a couple of hundred years ago, where anyone saying anything negative about Britain might have had a bit of a problem domestically. Today, it's the exact reverse of that, the inverse of it. Unless you bash Britain, uh, uh, people think you're doing something wrong. Uh, look at all the people who've come out of the woodwork in the last couple of weeks with their rancid opinions about our history and our culture. I, I would say that the, 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 the job of us now is to retain and explain. That's something people use in museum terminology. We retain our culture and we explain it to people. Many people around the world will have watched today's events and been wondering, what's that about? Who's that? What's the symbolism of that? But they'll have learned some of it. And, you know, we have seen an extraordinary period. And as Anthony Selden and others just, just mentioned, we've seen a transition of a monarch and a prime minister within days of each other. And what other country in the world would be able to carry out a peaceful transition like that but our own country. Other countries, including America, can't manage it. Imagine if we'd been undergoing a presidential election and a prime ministerial election. The point is that Britain continues. The monarchy continues. Our institutions continue, but they don't continue merely like oxygen. They continue because the people who are committed to them sustain them. And so I would like to think that people remember after a day like today that the job of any generation isn't just to sustain what is good, but to keep it going, to pass it on. 
And that is something that I think many people will have been inspired to do from today. And to remember, as Quentin just said, that we had other values that aren't so bad. It's not so good to let everything out. It's not so good to be me, 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 me time. It's good to live a life of service to your nation, to, to, to your circle around you, to your loved ones, and to the things that matter. Yeah. And if we ever saw somebody who epitomised that, it was Elizabeth II. Absolutely right. Douglas Murray, thank you very much indeed for joining me. Sir Anthony Seldon, thank you. Quentin Letts, Esther Kraku. Well, that brings an end to our two-hour special. We could have done probably 22 hours, frankly, on what happened today. It was just a unique, extraordinary, wondrous day in so many ways. This country at its absolute greatest the greatest for pomp, for pageantry, for monarchy, but also the greatest for the values that this monarch represented. And I've talked about this a few times in the last 10 days. I want to end by reminding people what those values are so that we can all try and learn and take from those values. Stoicism, resilience, dignity, humility, strength of character, not playing the victim. Don't complain all the time. Don't explain too much. Be careful what you say, and when you say it, mean it. And stand by your own principles. Don't get blown in the wind by whatever the next headline is. If you're like that, you will be more like our Queen, and that will make us all better people. So thank you, Your Majesty, again, for everything that you taught us. And that leads us to our final farewell to Britain's greatest ever monarch. It's goodbye to Queen Elizabeth II and our heartfelt gratitude. We come to this house of God, where Queen Elizabeth was married and crowned. We gather from across the nation, from the Commonwealth, and from the nations of the world, to mourn our loss. He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. Thanks be to God. All who follow the Queen's example and inspiration of trust and faith in God can with her say, we will meet again.
evening and welcome. Uh, I'm James Well. With me is Rupert Bell, Talk Radio and Talk Television's... Uh, I nearly said political, of course it would have been wrong, but uh, royal correspondent. But of course, uh, the monarchy in this country does have a political point because it is above politics. It actually keeps politics safe and sober to me. We would like at this particular time in the evening, uh, first of all, to invite your thoughts, because I have had all the pundits I can really be bothered with, all the so-called journalists we are not. Um, uh, that I can be bothered with. I would like to hear from you guys what you thought about it. Uh, the number on the screen on talk television and on talk radio, if you're listening to, is, is 03444991000. This is, Rupert, uh, the end of a moment in history that uh, people of our age and people of many ages will never see again. Never. And you just think this two weeks has been bonkers. Yeah. Uh, in every sense. And I, uh, that, I'm not trying to be trite there. But just seismic from the moment Liz Truss is announced. I mean, I don't know whether you were working that Monday night, but you may.